0: I attempted to finish the book of Hebrews in two studies here in chapter 13. It's not possible. There's going to be a third one. So, a few final thoughts, part two, and then there'll be a final word as well next Sunday. But as we turn our attention to this final book, remember the the author of the book of Hebrews is sending a very special message to a group of people who were Hebrew believers. They were Jewish, and so they'd been under the law and doing all of these things to try and win God's approval. And he's now drawing really all of this to a conclusion. And now he begins by saying, we have to be really, 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 really careful because we can get carried away by false doctrine. We can believe things that are not true. We can begin to attempt to find some new, new way that you can reach God. When Jesus made his I Am statement in John 14, that he is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father, but by him, he meant exactly that. There is no other way. And all other ways are actually false ways. Now, some find that very, very, very offensive. But the truth of the matter is you either believe what Jesus said about salvation or you don't. You either are saved or you're not. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is now making actually the case that Judaism actually can't save you. That's hard for us to even think of because actually Christianity came out of Judaism. But it's also true. The sacrifices, the feast days, the keeping of the dietary laws, the wearing of a keepa, the the throwing on of a prayer shawl, all those things, as much as they would have pointed you towards Christ, they cannot save you. They were never intended to save you. They were intended to point you to Jesus. And so we come now to part two of a few final thoughts. Would you join me? Let's pray. And we'll pick up in verse nine. Father, we thank you that you have made the gospel explicitly simple. That by faith we believe that you, Jesus, died on that cross, and through it you have paid the price for our sin. And those that believe in you will be saved. But the converse is true those that do not believe in you, the Word says, will perish. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring that simplicity to our minds and help us to not be confused about what the path is, what the way is, how to get to heaven. Lord, speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 9. Now remember, verse 8 says, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Now, if he is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, if he was truth, he's the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him, then the word of God becomes the standard whereby we judge where we are in Christ. How to be saved. How we get to heaven. How to have a right relationship with God. And so that's the context of verse 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Why do you suppose the writer of Hebrews would, would author those words by the Holy Spirit? Because our propensity is to not like what's offered in the gospel. Jesus actually said narrow is the way that leads unto salvation and few there are who find it. The gospel is the narrow way. It is the only way. And in that sense, it's very exclusive. It's Jesus or there isn't salvation found in any other, exactly as the Bible declares. And so your friend who claims that the Mormon Jesus is the same as the biblical Christianity Jesus is deceived. Your friend that believes that being a devout Buddhist can get you to heaven is deceived. Your friend that believes that Christian science is either of those two things is deceived. Your friend who believes in Seventh day Adventism as a way to get to heaven. Is deceived. People don't like that message. Are you are you picking on it? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is there are a lot of false doctrines in the world, and they sound actually pretty good. And if you're not wise in understanding what the scriptures actually say, you two can be carried away by strange doctrines biblical ignorance in the church actually is a great cause of falling away for it is good that the heart be established by grace notice what it says For those of you that think you need to wear a kippah or have a prayer shawl or keep the Jewish dietary laws, here it comes. Not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. The great apostle Peter actually was caught up with this very thing, and in fact he got a lesson in the book of Acts, did he not? A nice blanket coming down from heaven with honey-baked ham, Bacon, scallops, lobster, everything that a good Jewish boy would never put his fingers to, and God said to him, that which I have called clean, Peter, don't you call it unclean. We can get carried away by things that don't matter, things that do not point people to the grace of God. You are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift from heaven through Jesus. Amen? You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by being good. You will be good if you are saved, but you're not saved by being good. People love to earn their way to God. The Jewish people were stuck in that particular vein. But God's word doesn't change. And so this passage warns us that there are a lot of strange teachings and they sound kind of good. You know, to the legalist, doing legalistic things sounds good. Amen? It's like, oh, you mean all I got to do is this, 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 multiply times 100 And I'm going to be okay with God? Well, that suits my flesh because then I can do something to earn God's favor. People love that. Problem is, it can't save you. Your salvation is the grace gift that's been handed to you. God says, you have believed in my only begotten Son and thereby his righteousness is being placed in your account and your sins are espunged forever. He paid the price of your sin on Calvary's cross. You have not earned your own salvation. Jesus paid the price for it. You've been delivered from the bondage of sin and death because of the death of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. So important, because if you don't understand that, then here's what you're going to do. I'll find some way to make it myself. And then it'll be about what you can do to try and earn your way to heaven. The basis of virtually every cultic thinking that exists in our world now or has ever existed is in essence works. What do I need to do? The Bible says there is nothing you can do that it had to be done for you. That included Judaism. Judaism was extremely ordered, highly structured. It's why the Bible contains all of these admonitions. Take heed to yourself there in 1 Timothy 4.16, and to the doctrine, continue in them. In other words, there is doctrine you need to know. There are things you should know. 1 Timothy chapter 6, same thing, to doctrine which accords with godliness, to the correct understanding of what the Bible actually says about your salvation and what it does not say. It's amazing to me how many people go to the Bible to try and prove their errant doctrine They wander around in those thinkings and they go, well, you know, it says right here, I had a guy last week try and prove to me that his wife was going to hell because they got a divorce. I said, really? So you think that divorce is the unpardonable sin? You actually think it can't be forgiven? And he says, well, you know, Jesus said. I said, no, that isn't what Jesus said. That's what you said, Jesus said. But people pull out that verse out of context. They do the same thing. Well, you know, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've actually killed him. Well, that isn't actually what Jesus said. And by the way, when we finish the book of Hebrews, we're going to a series called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. We're going to tackle some of these passages for a while. Why is this important to us today? Because really, all you've got to do is study your Bible. All you have to do is know what the Word says, and you're going to be just fine. That's why we put the emphasis here in Calvary Chapel on studying God's word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line on line, precept on precept. We don't skip any of it. We don't dance around it. We We don't avoid the hard things. Truth is, there are some seriously strange doctrines out there. And for sake of time, I'm not going to elaborate on every single one of these things. But I have watched Christians watch the Discovery Channel and come back going, well, you know, the Gospel of Thomas. The Nag Hammadi, you know, Gnostic Gospels, they say. Well, there's a reason those aren't included in the canon of Scripture. And there's a reason that they were actually found in a trash dump in Egypt in the 1940s. Because there wasn't a single Christian on the face of the earth that believed that they were written by the Holy Spirit, and so they were put where they belonged, in a trash dump. But contained in them, there are 13 codices. Those are books, essentially. Instead of a scroll being rolled up, a codice would be pages put into a binder, essentially, and, and made into a... Prototypical book, very large. There's almost 40 different texts that are contained in those things. There's actually 50 if you take the duplicates and say that they're different. But in them are all kinds of things. There's the life of Jesus that he supposedly lived after he moved to Egypt with his wives, plural. You think the Mormons like that one? See, Jesus was a polygamist. There's the gospel of truth, which doesn't contain a stitch of truth. It's all these places that Jesus supposedly went. The reason they weren't included in the canon of Scripture is they were patently false. They were made-up stories. There was, you have to remember when the Gospels were assembled in the first century, there were still people alive who actually met Jesus. There were people who were one generation removed from the time of Christ. And so they could easily go, that's not true. These writings deal with all kinds of things, including that God was a woman. The divine Sophia, that God was an angry man, that he was thunder. God has both feminine characteristics, as we would call them, and he has masculine characteristics. He has both. He's neither. God is God. But you you can take these things and go, well, see, you know, that's the problem. Men are thundering and it should be ruled. You know, God's a woman. No, God is God. And he has told us a whole lot about himself, but he has not told us everything about himself. Amen? Be careful. Because just because there's a Discovery Channel program that says the Gospel of Thomas is the fifth gospel does not make it so. Unlearned Untaught Christians flock to this stuff. I can't believe how many people, well, you know, the Da Vinci Code or the Gospel of Philip is another one. Just because Philip's name, who was an apostle, is in the title, doesn't mean it was about Philip. Strange teachings indeed. Now here's the reason that I want to really dig into this just a little bit for your benefit. Every single cult that exists in the world today all has their moorings in that kind of thinking. It's like we don't like what the Bible says. We want it to say something else. And so somebody writes an extra biblical text to make it say what they want it to say. It's that simple. So when you look at all cults, and I'm just going to call it like I see it, the Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church, is a cult. It's not Christian. It's a cult. Why do I say that? Well, number one, I actually have a relative who's related to Joseph Smith. So I've had some pretty extensive conversations about this particular subject. Furthermore, I have read all four of the standard works of the Mormon church. The Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrines and Covenants, and oh, occasionally, they use the King James Bible. The problem is, when they default, what do they default to? The Book of Mormon. Which has been altered so many times that the current version that they actually read from Is nothing like the one that existed even in the 1980s. All of these particular religions, Seventh day Adventism, sounds great, got some great hospitals that came out of it, but also have some heretical beliefs like you're going to be investigatively judged, that you're going to go through soul sleep. None of these doctrines are found in Scripture that you have to be a vegetarian. None of these things are found in Scripture. And yet Christians are going, well, you know, why? Because our culture is in this health kick, right? And so it must be better, oh, it must be actually more saintly if you're a vegetarian. Now, I'm not gonna make any case whether some of y'all should eat more broccoli or not. (laughs) Probably all of us could benefit from that, okay? Especially if you leave the cheese sauce off of it. I'm not debating that at all. But when it literally becomes sin for you to eat meat, you have a problem with what the Bible declares. So you have to be really careful because it sounds good. It fits into the direction. We're all health conscious. The problem is when you read what Mary Baker Eddy said or when you read what Ellen G. White wrote, which is the place that these doctrines reside, they don't reside in the Bible. You're going to find it's heretical. These things, all, all of these, Jehovah's Witnesses, same thing. They actually went so far as to make their own version of the Bible translated by three guys who have high school educations, none of them studied more than two years of any type of Near Eastern language. Not one of them could translate a single sentence, yet they supposedly took original language and retranslated the Bible to give them their own translation. So people going, well, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door and they told me that I can be part of the 144,000. Well, unfortunately, they predicted the end of the world not once, not twice, not three times, five different times. Why? Because they got to the end of the 144,000 and said, oh, we're sunk. But Christians get sucked in. Why? Because if you're a legalist, there's nothing better to do than join the Jehovah's Witnesses. Because you're going to get beat up all day, every day. So if you want to get beat up all day, every day, join the Jehovah's Witnesses. In Jesus' name, don't do that. (laughs) You know why? Because no amount of beating you up is going to get you saved. You, You can't restrain your flesh with the law. You know how I know that? Jesus said so. The law profits you nothing. It can restrain your flesh a little bit, but it can't get you to heaven. And so when you think about these things, Christian science, Mary Baker Eddy is a strange lady. She actually died because she refused medical care. But her book, Science and Health with Keys to Scriptures, says some pretty wild things that actually all of us are part of the infinite God mind. That you actually don't think for yourself, God thinks for you. That Christ is actually an ideal. He's not a real person. I'm pretty sure a real person died on Calvary's cross and shed his blood for me. That if you're ever going to be healed, it's from true belief and true faith and you don't need medicine. This is why I said what I said when I started. Strangely, oddly enough, she actually died from an infected tooth. Oops. You see, it sounds good. Oh, I got tons of faith. I don't even believe in medicine. Until you get cancer. And then it becomes, do I know God or do I not know God? You see, the Bible actually says the poor you'll have with you always. The Bible clearly declares that people got sick and died, including the friends of Jesus. Right? So it's not about having faith so that you can stay alive. It's about having faith so you can go to heaven. Amen? It's not about having faith so you can be rich. It's about having faith so you can go to heaven. Be careful because there are a lot of strange doctrines out there. And if you can't justify what you believe with the Bible alone, Scripture alone, then you must question it. Christian science actually is the, they're the progenitors of the anti-vax movement. And I'm not trying to make a case one way or another. I'm just saying they don't believe in vaccinating for polio or measles or whooping cough or anything else that has killed millions of people worldwide. Why? It's not trusting God. Really? So, if you have a heart issue, do you go to a cardiologist? You break an arm, break a leg? Do you just kind of let it dangle for a while? Or do you seek out medical care? Because there's no difference between a broken bone and cancer, ultimately. You either have faith for God to heal it all, or you don't have faith that God's going to heal it. Be careful. Be careful what road you start down because at the end, it better work all the way to heaven or it didn't work at all. Be a Berean. Be that Acts 17 group that studied the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Test it. In the end, it becomes nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? Verse 10. For we have an altar, which those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat. What is that altar? It's the altar of the cross. If you believe you're saved by going to the tabernacle, if you believe that those feast days were the way of salvation then why would you ever come to the communion table? For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. And therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside of the gate. Isn't it strange that Jesus died outside of the gates of the city? You see, for the Jewish person, they went, well, there's no sacrifice except that which is made in the Holy of Holies. Every day on Yom Kippur, where was that sacrifice made? Holy of Holies, right? So you can imagine a Jewish person hearing that Christ died where? On a hill with criminals? Are you kidding me? That might be a little problematic for them. And so the writer of Hebrews turns back to that argument and he says, look, the practices that you've been undertaking for for all these centuries, though pointing you to the cross, they were preparing you to hear the good news. Every scapegoat that was ever released to wander in the wilderness and finally die, every time blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, I was picturing Jesus. The once and for all sacrifice for all sin. Don't make it about something else. It is nothing but the blood of Jesus that saves you. His blood is the only thing that can do it, the only substance. Don't be confused. You're not saved because you come to church, you're not saved because you read your Bible. If you're saved, you should read your Bible. You're saved, you should come to church. And a lot of people get saved because they came to church. But you're not saved because of church. You're not saved because you got baptized. If you got saved, you should get baptized. Why? Because Jesus said to. He said, identify with me. Identify with my life, my birth, my death, my burial, my resurrection. Identify with me. Tell other people that you believe that I am who I am. So we get baptized. But you're not saved because you got baptized. Don't be confused. The Jewish people were very confused at this point. They're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll just keep on keeping the law. No, the law actually is going to become a problem to you. The priest will become a problem to you. That's the problem with trying to mix grace and the law. They're incompatible. The law can only be kept if you are a child of grace. The only way it's satisfied is through grace. The only way you can ever be right in the eyes of God the Father is through the grace of the Son. Amen? So so why go back some other way? Now church, you're probably going, well, you know, I, I, I don't go to synagogue. Great. Praise the Lord. You really don't need to. But how many of us try and win God's approval through other things? How many of us won't rest in the grace of God because we're trying to do these works so we can gain the approval that we already have through the sacrifice of Christ? Church, this is so important for your daily walk with the Lord. In Christ, you are the beloved. Amen? Amen? You're not beloved because you do a bunch of stuff for Jesus. You're not beloved because you tithe. You're not beloved because of your church attendance. You're not beloved because of your Bible memorization. You're not beloved because you play on the worship team. You're not beloved because you've gone on the mission field. You are beloved because you have believed on the only begotten Son. Amen? You need to keep that part correct. Because you will start doing what all cults do. You'll start doing what false religions do. You're going to make it about something else. You're going to make it about a system of belief, a system of religion, a way that you do church. I've had people actually send me emails. It's like, well, nobody in your church is saved. You didn't know it, but I'm actually the Antichrist. <laughs> I've gotten a few emails that said that very plainly that I am of the devil. Why? Some of it's because we have colored lights. That's one reason that you're all going to hell. It's amazing what people can get hung up in. Jesus hung out with publicans, tax collectors, and sinners, prostitutes, Jesus didn't sanitize the church and then say, oh, this is my group of people. He said, these are my people. And then they got sanitized. Amen? He orders everything. Because if you think you have to get saved before you can get saved, you're in trouble. Seriously. And there are people that believe that. You can't partake in both covenants. Romans 8, verses 2 and 3. For the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen? For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... The weakness of the Old Testament system of belief that the Jewish people followed for centuries was that it relied on them, their flesh, their weakness, the fact that they weren't perfect, the fact that they didn't do everything exactly right. It's the reason Jesus constantly had these little battles with the Pharisees. If you want to look at, if you want to look at somebody who looked like they were right with God, it would have been the Pharisees. And Jesus said to them, you, you stand on the street corners and you make long prayers hoping that people will see you. When you give, you play trumpets before you dump your money into the offering kettle so that people will see your good deeds. And Jesus said to them, when you do your good deeds, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. For know that your Father in heaven will see it and he will be glorified. Amen? You see, work says, see me. Grace says, see him. Work says, let me do it. Grace says, he has done it for me. And in grace, then I want to do everything I can to tell him how much I love him and how appreciative I am. So I do those good works. That's why my works then become an outflow of who I am in Christ. Faith without works is dead but I'm not saved because I did the works. I'm saved because Jesus died for me. God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Don't ever miss that. You would never have been able to take care of your own sin debt. Jesus took care of it for you. Verse 13, back in our passage, and therefore let us go forth to him outside of the camp, bearing his reproach. You see, for the Jewish believer, this would have been unthinkable. You mean you want us to go out there where the Gentiles are? The gate to the courts of the sanctuary are over there. The holy people are in there. The righteous people, I mean, Look at that. Remember, Solomon's temple is still on the temple mount at this time. You mean that doesn't mean anything? It's exactly what it means. That's just a grandiose picture of exactly what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You are like whitewashed sepulchers. You look great on the outside, but inside is dead men's bones. You see, it doesn't matter what the building looks like. I've been to some of the funkiest churches in the world. Seriously. I mean, I've done church underneath a tree. I've done church on a rock. I've done church in a field. I've done church when it's 110 outside. I've done church when it's so cold that I thought people had actually died during the message because they never moved. I've done church with no lights. I've done church in the dark. I've done church without any type of sound system. But you know what I found in every case? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If God's there, and he's there, and you're there... You're good to go. Amen? Sometimes that's outside of the camp. It's the least likely place. We have to keep looking ahead in that sense. The reason, for we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. What does that mean? To the Jewish people, Jerusalem was it. To this day, They will leave one another's home next year, Yerushalayim. Next year, Jerusalem we will see you in the heavenly city. They still say it today. That's not your home. As glorious as it is to go see our history and to travel to Israel, to go to Jerusalem, to stand where Jesus stood, to walk where he walked, to see where he spent much of his time, beautiful, wonderful experience. Everyone, I believe, would be benefited by doing that. That's not your heavenly home. One day you're going to step out of time and into eternity, and you're going to a new heaven, and it's going to be glorious. Amen? We don't have a city that continues here on earth. We focus sometimes so hard on what's here that we forget what's there. We store up treasures for here and we forget that our treasures are to be stored up there. That's why Jesus said that. He said, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and rust, where the IRS can get to it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like, we we get so hung up on the stuff that's here, and then you find out, well, just about anybody can get that. For those of you that haven't had the the wonderful experience of being hacked yet, your bank account's tampered with. Connie and I have had that. It's not fun. And I'm really glad that one day I'm not going to care. One day I'm going to go, I don't care who has my information. I don't care if you got it on some, you know, some dark web somewhere you see that stuff is here and it matters here in your temporal life but your life is more than here your life in Christ is eternal in the heavens amen we seek the one to come the Bible is clear. Jesus spent a vast majority of his time talking about the kingdom to come. Amen? Why is that? Because this world's not your home. It's a temporary dwelling place. We live here as foreigners. We live here as strangers. We live here as sojourners. We live here as travelers. We live here as people who really don't have a home here. For those of you that have ever been on the mission field or, or you've been in a foreign country where you were kind of not welcome and it was a little sketchy. Some of you I know have had that experience where it's just like, man, what's going on here? This is not L.A. You know, when you're sitting in a, a little tiny room and they're ripping your luggage apart in the Soviet Union, which I have had the privilege of have happened, when you get to those border guards and they're holding guns, and it's just like you know you have Bibles inside of your car that aren't supposed to be there, you're like, mm, I don't know if this is going to work out all that well. You kind of like can't wait to get home, okay? You're, you're, you're like, oh, Lord, preserve, get me home. That is the single thought that goes through your mind as a general rule when that's happening. It's like, Lord, I know you've called me to this, but could you please get me home to my wife? Could you please extricate me from this situation? God has an eternal plan to get you home 100% of the time. Your home's not here, though. Your home is heaven. So his plan is heavenly. Heavenly. Don't lose sight of that while you're battling here on earth. You're going to get stopped at borders. Your suitcases are going to be opened up and strewn all over the street. And yes, that happened too. You're going to have strange things happen in your life. But Jesus said, fear not, for I have literally overcome this world. Amen? That's that looking ahead. And therefore, by him let us continually offer sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You know, when you say the word hallelujah, it just simply means praise God. That's all it means. It means praise to God. You live that way. Do you think about heaven and you say, praise God? you think about your life on this earth and you say, praise God? Do you think about your situation you're in, do you say, praise God? Because you have reason to praise God all day, every day, even if your situation is not good. Even if your situation is terrible. Praise God at the end of every day. You know, sometimes you think about it, when you get a little older, you start putting your head on your pillow and go, you know, I may not ever actually see these walls again. It's the weirdest thing. And it's not a bad thing. You're just like, oh, well, I might not wake up tomorrow. It's not morbid at all. It's just like, one day I'm going to heaven. You start having, you, you have good dreams, and you wake up, it's like, "Ah, oh, wow, man, I was in heaven already. <laughs> It's the greatest thing. You're just like, then he's like, oh man, he sent me back. You know? it's like, I guess I'm not ready. And he ends with this, and we'll close verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You see, sometimes, church. We just need to get to it. We just need to start doing the things that point to heaven. Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as to those who must give an account. If you want to know what to pray for me and for all of the staff here at the church, the pastor specifically, pray for that. Someday I'm going to stand before a holy God and give an account for every word I've ever uttered. And it's scary. It's frightening. Monumentally so. It's like, Lord, don't let me mess up. Don't don't let me mess up your word. Let them do so with joy. People who are in charge... Of the church have a difficult job to do. And this may seem a little self seeking, but it's what the Bible says. And not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Are, are you making the lives of pastors better with the words that you say, with the things that you do? Because it's difficult, it's hard not easy. I've shared frequently and often, if we were to do a poll on virtually anything and whether that's the, what color should we make the pews? For however many people we have in this church, those that are watching online get to, you know, send in their two cents too and take all the families and everything, I'm probably going to get 15 to 20,000 responses. There's probably going to be some of them that'll be similar, and there's going to be some that won't, and there's going to be people that just love pink. And, you know, it's like, can we make it, you know, pink and chartreuse with lime green walls? It's subjective, right? A lot of what we think is subjective. It's just how we feel about something, it's what we like, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you can't run a church with subjective opinions. You can't pastor the flock of God that way. You pastor the flock of God with the word of God. Amen? So it doesn't mean that your opinions don't matter. It means I couldn't possibly consider all of them. It would be suicidal. It'd be monumentally, unbelievably difficult to even consider them, much less do something about it. So have mercy and be kind. I know I need it. I know every pastor I know needs it because it's hard. And ultimately, notice what it says. It's unprofitable for you. You know why that is? Because then your pastor's time gets taken up by responding to subjective emails about things that are simply an opinion, one person versus another. Instead of studying God's word and doing the things that are beneficial to the body, our time gets taken up doing other things. It's not profitable for the church. What's profitable for the church is I spend my time praying and reading God's word and studying, ministering to people and giving godly counsel. That's that's what I should be doing. The writer of Hebrews says these things. Your pastor is just simply reading them. For those of you that do this already, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because without you doing it, it would be unbearable. Thanks for being who you are. Thanks for loving me sometimes when I'm unlovable. Thanks for overlooking my faults and praying for me instead of sending me emails. (laughs) Amen? In doing so, we all benefit. There are so many people that I could thank in my life. I could stand up here all day and do that. And every pastor that's here on staff would say the same thing. Brandon and Becca would tell you the same thing. There's a lot of people that we owe an allegiance to because they've dedicated their lives to the call of the gospel. Let's be faithful to lift them up in prayer and minister to their needs as best we can. Amen. Would you stand? We'll close in prayer. Father, I thank you for those that have been used in my life. Lord, I thank you for those that take time to write kind and encouraging notes. and Lord, I pray for those that, that don't. Lord, I know they have a reason for those emails and texts and things that they send. And I pray that somehow my responses would never cause them to be hurt, or or seem as though they don't matter. But I do pray, Lord, that we be busy about your business, because it is truly that the time is short, the day is at hand, and you could return for your church at any moment. And so we want to be ready for that. Pray that you would bless us, Lord, establish us by grace. Lord, help us to never rely on our own strength but to lean on you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.